Welcome to the World XP Podcast. This is episode number 15. It's a pleasure to have you on. I know it's been a little while since, since we've spoken. I've seen on LinkedIn and different things, you've been quite busy. I know when we were just talking, I remember seeing that you were doing aerospace stuff at tech and then you switched courses all of a sudden and now you're in the political world with a, with a new startup called By the People. So welcome. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me, Eric. It's it's been a while, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, it should be a good one. So I think just to start, um, if you want to give – so By the People is your startup, and it's been inspired sort of by your uh, path, let's say, through college and, and some of the clubs and activities you were involved in, um, citizen lobbying up at Capitol Hill and that sort of thing. But do you want to give a little bit of background into what it is and, and how you got to the point, got to this point? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, to start really early, I grew up um, right outside DC. And so I was just sort of always in that orbit. Politics was just sort of always on my mind. And I enter college, Virginia Tech. um, And at the time, I'm super interested in space. And I meet somebody who has gone and lobbied Congress for space policy. And so we get talking and we're like, hey, it would be really cool if we could get a group of students together and go talk to our representatives, go talk to their staffers about space policy that we want to see passed. So we formed this organization um, in college. First year we had like, there were five or six of us. Um, By the time I left college, there were maybe 40 or 50 of us going to Capitol Hill, uh, talking to representatives, talking to staffers about specific space policy we wanted to see passed. I then graduated, kind of got away from space, and started working for Capital One. And at the same time, uh, Trent, who is now my co-founder, he got really involved with this climate organization called Citizens Climate Lobby. And so now he was going to Capitol Hill and talking to representatives about climate change. And just hanging out, you know, one day we were talking about the citizen lobbying process since we'd both been through it. And we had both been through it in very different organizations, right? The organization he was with had millions of dollars in funding and like they knew what they were doing. And my organization, it was a handful of students working. We worked with some other space organizations. Like we weren't just making up the policy that we were talking about. Um, But, you know, definitely had way fewer resources than CCL, the Citizens Climate Lobby. And we kind of realized, hey, this is how policy gets passed in America. Um, Because with the space policy that I had gone to Capitol Hill with, like we did influence policy. And I mean, you just see how effective lobbying from corporations is to pass policy we thought people should have the same opportunity. Nonprofits should have the same opportunity without needing millions of dollars in funding. Um, And so we started by the people. And at the time uh, I was working full-time at Capital One, he was working full-time for ABB. And so we kind of puttered around for a while building like a note-taking software, it was honestly a great learning experience and like going through the product design and development and technical development process and like getting a product out there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but we really struggled with making it very targeted, right? And like making something that was actually useful in a very specific way. Uh, and so this brings us to March of this year when the pandemic started. I quit my job. Um, I had saved up money to last me basically through the end of the year. Um, so I quit my job to work full time on By the People. And we very quickly realized our whole idea was to support citizen lobbying, which is in person, right? And so all of the software we were building was meant to facilitate in-person meetings. It was the scheduling, it was the note-taking. And now we're in a pandemic where nobody's gonna be meeting anybody in person. So we very quickly pivoted to, hey, we'll just handle virtual lobby meetings. And we were talking about it more and realized that with the election, there was a really big opportunity to go even further or closer to like the general population and have people talking to their uh, like local candidates for office. Um, so we finally made that pivot and, and pivot is just like changing what we're doing basically. And I think it was June. Uh, and so what we've been working on for the past few months is software. Uh, it's a website that you sign up for and then you can meet or invite to meet uh, your local candidates for office. That was interesting. I think that would be for those politically active anyways. I think that's definitely a good, a good tool. The user simplicity, it seems fairly simple. You sign up, make an account and, and then the options are, are there. But I just want to backtrack for a second. Um, for those listening that don't know what citizen lobbying is or what lobbying is in general, uh, do you want to kind of explain um, kind of how that, how that process works versus like what lobbying is in general, what citizen lobbying is, uh, and then kind of like how those things play together in, in Washington? Yeah, for sure. So there's, I would frame it as kind of two ways um, lobbying works. Uh, the first way is Congress is working on a bill and they need some feedback from, they just need feedback, right? So they'll reach out to corporations or they'll reach out to specific organizations um, and get feedback that way. And so those relationships are generally built over years, sometimes decades, right? Where these representatives know like, oh, so-and-so at Lockheed, if we're passing an aerospace bill, uh, he's the guy to reach out to and, you know, we'll get good feedback from him or like figure out how to help that industry. The other way is where an organization or a corporation wants something specific passed. And so they go and talk to representatives, talk to the staffers about, hey, this legislation would really help us out. Um, please pass it. And typically it's, there's way more going on behind the scenes. So like these organizations uh, might be donating to PACs, political action committees, which can basically accept unlimited donations and then spend an unlimited amount of money uh, running ads against or for a candidate. Um, 
yeah, I, I think that's kind of it in a nutshell, right? So then you're just, these lobbyists are working with the representatives throughout the entire legislative process to make sure that whatever gets passed is what benefits their corporation or what benefits their organization. So mm. citizen lobbying, right, is just regular people doing this, right, or nonprofit organizations doing this, where they say, hey, there's a problem, um, there's something we don't like about certain legislation, or there's certain legislation we want to see passed. And so they go and talk to their elected officials to get that passed or to get that legislation changed. So when you're going in your group of students, is it hard to get access to to the candidates, especially up in Washington? Yeah. So it is probably easier than you think it is, um, especially just setting up meetings. Um, so I'm not sure what it has looked like over the past few years, uh, but when I did this from 2014 to 2017, 2018, uh, it was typically as easy as emailing the scheduling person, being like, hey, we're with this organization. We would love to meet with uh, the space staffer because we would like to talk to you about space policy. Um, in those uh, what requests for meetings, we would typically say, and we would love to meet with a representative like if they have time. And we have actually met with representatives. So I remember there was this representative from California who invited us into his office. He offered us some like Turkish delight uh, and he just chatted with us for half an hour about space policy. Um, I have been yelled at by a representative for uh, who I voted for and their impact on space policy. Um, that was actually my representative who was yelling at me for <laughs> how can you vote for this person? Uh, they've ruined the space industry, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, okay, um, thanks. I, that's an odd response for my representative, but good to know. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a mix of staffers and representatives. Mm, sure, so uh, you started with space and then what made you want to branch out into general policy or to, to build an app that, um, or website that's kind of more widespread rather than just the, the narrow focus of space policy? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I don't know, saying American democracy is broken, it just, it seems too easy to just say that. Mm -hmm. But I, I really think that's true. Um, you, so I was reading this study that came out just this past week, and millennials are losing faith very rapidly in democracy, like as an institution. And I mean, obviously, I didn't see the study at the time, but I saw how involved people were getting with politics and just how unresponsive politics was to people. And I am a firm believer in democracy. Um, whether or not you agree with me politically, I think you should have your voice heard. I think you should get the opportunity to try to make a change. Um, and so we just sort of, Trent and I, my co-founder, uh, thought, hey, what if we tried to 
address the issues with American democracy by getting people involved in an effective manner. Yeah, I think it's good assuming, so this hypothetically down the line, this is working by the people, I mean, is working. Yeah. That's something where there's, there's a lot of smart people out there in different walks of life, whether it be in universities or just in private companies or, or wherever that could help people and their ideas could help people. And either now they're at the point where they're like, well, I can say this, but it doesn't matter anyway, because like nobody's going to hear or that's kind of the social media phenomenon, right? Everybody has an opinion. Yeah. And so good ones get sort of drowned out in the, the endless timeline of nonsense and memes. And then by the same token, and so that prevents people from wanting to do this. But if you have a way, because I don't think people who just are in this to troll will, will want to be on your site. Like it's too much. Yeah. It's, it's easy enough for somebody who wants to be active to, to get involved, but it's by the same token, it's like just that smidge too hard for somebody who just wants to do it to troll and have a laugh, like for them to be like, Oh yeah, this is worth my time. Let me go troll a candidate for office. Like it's because you actually have to do the scheduling and set up the meeting and and know what you want to talk about. And so, so too, we also, a big part of by the people actually is we verify everybody on the platform. Right. Well, so when you sign up, there you we go. actually, yeah, we make you uh, send us a picture of your photo ID, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's it's secure, right? I've worked for a bank recently uh, in the past doing security mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, we hold on to the ID for less than a day, uh, but it's super important to a lot of the candidates we talked to before building the product that they know who they're talking to, right? They know they're not just wasting their time talking to somebody across the country when they could be spending that time talking to constituents. Sure. And I feel like that would be a big thing for them because they, they're they busy people running campaigns and the shore is a very complicated and time consuming task. And so any sort of time wasted, especially if you look at from the standpoint of a competitive person, it's like, I wasted five minutes talking to this person and my opponent is using that five minutes in a better way. Um, and so I think that's important for you guys from a, a product standpoint, like, like you pointed out that the candidate would want that. Um, and so for that, for that reason, that along with the other stuff that you've told me both now and in our converse, previous conversations and all that, I think there's a real promise about what you guys are doing. Um, and I know, like, even just people that I've had on the podcast before, like uh, Jason Ford, whose episode I think uh, came out today at the time of recording this, he he's involved in several small political things. He would love something like that. Um, Sammy and Izzy, who were the first episode, I think would, would love something like that as well. And so you have people, I talk to people at least, that, I know would be very interested in, in something like that. I think it would, those in it for the right reasons would make the time to do the research, I think. And I think there would be a lot more, um, 
productive conversations rather than just yelling. Um, if if it, if by the people were to to take off and expand kind of to where you guys are seeing, so I definitely think it has some promise for sure. Um, but I think America is almost it's almost America is almost needing something like that. I think people are tired of yelling yelling at each other. That's why one of the reasons why like Joe Rogan's podcast is so popular is because even when they mess up, it's just the conversation. They're trying to get to an answer of something or like just have a conversation about an issue. And so it's those sorts of things are starting to, to resonate with people, I think a little bit more than, than just people yelling at each other on the news or, or wherever. So. Exactly. Yeah. Is that sort of what you found when you've talked to people about the idea as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, I will say, obviously, you know, we are super optimistic for what we're doing. Um, that said, like we haven't, totally figured out like you know we have a little bit less than 100 users right now right Mm -hmm. obviously we're still going through this process of how do we build this in such a way that people want to engage with it and then it just sort of spreads like wildfire right and it's actually effective um and honestly right like that's just that's the process that's the pain of building a startup is figuring out you know which levers you need to press to get the growth you need to really have an impact at the nation level and maybe eventually at the global level. Yeah. So right now, are most of your users local? Do you have candidates on there right now? Yeah. So we have about 15 candidates on here. Uh, we have profiles for hundreds of candidates, um, but those are ones we brought in, right? They haven't signed up for the platform yet. Mm-hmm. And we have about 60 or 70 voters signed up for the platform as well. They mm-hmm. lean towards yeah. South Carolina. Um, but, you know, we have people in California, Ohio, Virginia, Louisiana, uh, kind of all over. Is it is it growing? You launched recently, right? Yeah, so we launched a month ago. Um, it definitely has been growing. That said we've been really focused on the election and there's only two weeks left in the election. So we only have so much more time we can grow from the election, but pretty quickly after the election, uh, we're going to be bringing in support for organizations and support for endorsements. And with the conversations we've had with a lot of these organizations, uh, we think this could be a really great avenue for growth right, where not only do we facilitate these meetings between organizations and their elected officials, uh, but we are also a platform to collect people supporting the legislation that you're trying to pass or the cause that you are behind. In a way, that change.org, it's just, it's so generic, right? And Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't, there's not as much power behind, oh, great, there's a change.org petition. But if we're pairing it with, hey, look at these hundreds of people in your district, look at this map we have of the hundreds of people in your district who support this legislation, mm-hmm. right? Now let's talk about the legislation. There's a lot more power to that conversation. Definitely, with the map, the visual, I think, gets gets the the power there. Do you worry that, like, when you talk about organizations having... Uh, access to the platform 
Do you worry at all that the candidates would cater to the organizations more than the individuals on the platform? From the standpoint of like, will your your platform will go down a similar path to on on a much smaller scale, obviously, but a similar path to to Washington, where it used to be like when the constitution was first signed and everything, like they go out and talk to the individual people and now it's about super PACs and all that stuff. Do you worry that that's where by the people will head if you allow organizations on there or do you have like stop gaps in place for that or kind of? Yeah, about yeah that's it? a really good question. I, I have a lot of worries about the direction this could go, mm-hmm. right? Like building a platform. I mean, we've seen how Facebook has uh, just been very toxic for politics and we absolutely do not want that happening with by the people. Um, so that said, I do imagine organizations will be on the platform. Uh, I mean, we want organizations on the platform, but in like the negative way you're, I guess, suggesting, like there will probably be some of that, but at the same time, we're now giving normal people the same tools that these organizations have right? And effective ways to make change that they just didn't have access to before. And so I think we're really going to be tilting the power more in the direction of your average person than, you know, these corporate interests. Sure. I would, I would agree in the beginning and I don't mean to sort of to press on this, but no, for sure. But if, if anyone can sort of schedule, can the, can the candidates decline a meeting? Yeah, sure. Well, so if you have like, if I schedule a meeting with candidate X and then like you have a Lockheed, like you mentioned earlier, schedule a meeting at the same time, mm-hmm. what's to stop the candidate from declining the normal person and going with, with Lockheed? Like there's, I there's mean... so like, I guess the question is more like, are you worried eventually that there's going to be so like, enough organizations on there that the original intent will kind of get drowned out? Well, so at the end of the day, uh, if you want to make change, you need to organize. And you organize by forming an organization, right? Whether that's a formal organization or an informal organization. Um, so at the end of the day, people will probably be making the most change through organizations. Now, maybe the question is, is it through nonprofits, right? Or organizations with pure humanitarian ideas behind them? Or is it organizations that are profit-driven and cater to corporate interests? That's probably a better way to phrase the question. And I... If you bring both of those uh, sets of organizations to the same platform and you present the ideas they have in a very transparent manner, um, I don't know. This might be overly optimistic, but I, I think that represents an easier way for people to fight back against these organizations, right? Like if you see, oh, hey, Lockheed is meeting with all of these elected officials, mm-hmm. right? And you see how elected officials are changing their policy positions. You either, you go lobby them yourself 
or you work really hard to vote them out, right? And vote somebody in who isn't going to be so easily swayed by Lockheed. And yeah. I, I don't mean to just keep using Lockheed. Like, a, they're just and sort of a scapegoat. Any, anyone, any, <laughs> yeah, any yeah. corporate, any 800-pound gorilla, as people exactly. like to say. I guess, yeah, I, I agree with, with you a little bit. But also, the... It's the it's the resources behind the organization is where I'm not so sure that long term it like long term for you guys unless you put some sort of measure in place that like limits the amount of time that a, that somebody can meet with a candidate a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, also, it's, it's the I, money I standpoint say- that like Please. the resources behind like if you like hey we'll take this time to meet with you. Uh, oh, by the way, we donated a million dollars to your super PAC that's going to mm-hmm. do this. Like you or I or a nonprofit can't can't do that. Like you were talking about earlier with the citizen lobbying, it's like you didn't have the resources to do that. And so what? Like I guess the question is is more like, do you have? So one, it seems like you've thought about it, but two, do you guys have ideas for how to sort of prevent? Um, lobbying to start taking place in the exact same way that it is now just virtually because we're in a pandemic yeah so i will say these corporations that i think you're referring to they're already doing all this right like whether or not our platform exists they are dumping the money into doing this Mm -hmm. our platform existing might make them a little bit more effective but it'll make people who aren't currently doing this or are doing this in a very ineffective manner, which tends to be nonprofits and advocacy organizations, right? It'll give them a much bigger boost. That's a, that's a good point. So that's, that's kind of the first idea. The second idea is our long-term vision is this being a platform for political engagement um, just in general, mm-hmm. right? So my personal sort of political position is let us fix Citizens United, right? Let's fix that decision. But if that doesn't happen, money in politics is so important. And people today do not really have a good way to understand their options for where their money can go to best affect change. But if all of this is happening on one platform, they can see, oh, and, you know, these packs, you know, I'm sure a lot of these packs will be off our platform. Like the big corporate packs won't be touching by the people. Sure. But a lot of that information is public, right? And mm-hmm. we'll bring that onto the platform. And so, you know, people can see where these packs are spending their money. And then you can build like citizen packs. And this might be very optimistic, right? It's something we haven't tried. It's something we would like to try. But you can build citizen packs to start to counteract these large corporate packs Mm. is the hope. And it it is very optimistic, but without eliminating Citizens United, you need a better way for people to be able to allocate money to fighting these packs. Definitely. That makes sense. That's a good point. Um, I, it's a good, it's good that you guys have thought of that for sure. And I mean, we could we could be wrong too, right? Like we'll we'll adjust as things come up. That's um, because that's it's definitely a concern for us, right? We don't want this platform being taken over by just large corporate interests. Yeah, and that would be a a big, very big down the road type type deal. Like 
nobody that size is going to, no offense, is going to care about by the people at this point. No, absolutely. Um, so, so you, you mentioned that some people don't have a way or don't know how to figure out where the money is going uh, that either packs spend, that packs spend, or like that they donate. Um, do you want to elaborate a little bit, a little bit on that? Yeah. Uh, so I'll clarify that a little bit. Um, all of that, most of that information is actually public, and you can find that information. I think at opensecrets.org. I think. Um, we'll put the link in the description. Regardless, we can talk afterwards and get the right website in there. Yeah, and. So what is hidden is where the funding for these packs are actually coming from. That information is not public, but how much money these packs get um, and where they're spending their money, that is public information. Um, I don't know. Does that answer your question? It, it does, but it, so what is the, so a, a pack gets a donation. What sorts mm -hmm. of things are they spend? Do they spend on? I know most people. The understanding is, oh, they'll donate to somebody's campaign, or to a lobby. Is that pretty much so it, or is it more it, than that? It tends to be, um, and I, ha I haven't gone too much into the weeds on like how packs exactly work, mm -hmm. uh, but it's my understanding they can't just donate to a candidate. Right, because there are certain caps for how much money you can donate to a candidate. Mm -hmm. But what they can do is they can run ads against that candidate's opponent, right? Or they can run ads that support that candidate, right? And so, like, that is really how these packs affect change is they run ads outside of the candidate's typical campaign. And then, like, they're not allowed to talk, um, though they typically do. Yeah. Uh, I shouldn't say typically, but uh, it wouldn't surprise anyone if they, they did. Do. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that that is the typical way that PACs influence elections. So, how did we? Are, are you well versed in sort of the history of, of PACs and, and that sort of thing, or, or not so much? Um, not so much, honestly. Uh, I mean, it came out of the Citizens United decision. Mm -hmm. uh, but beyond that, I honestly couldn't talk a whole lot about that decision. Um, that's, that's all right. I was just wondering because we could, you know, we'll save that for another podcast when By the People has more pe more users, has more people, and, uh, and we can get you we can get you back on. Um, so, so going back to sort of the the policy making itself uh, in America, do you want to sort of walk walk us through the a typical process for for some sort of bill or or policy that goes through we'll say Washington for simplicity yeah sure uh, so schoolhouse rock has a wonderful little cartoon on this process and absolutely will probably explain it better than I do uh, but typically um, a representative will write legislation it will then move to committee. Um, so let's say you're writing space legislation, it'll move to like the space committee. It, I think actually hits the subcommittee first and then it moves, they'll deliberate about it, make changes, move it to the higher level committee, also deliberate about it, make changes. Um, it'll then be scheduled to be brought to the floor. Um, 
which is just like the general assembly of the house uh, or the Senate uh, where it's voted on. And then the other house, the other, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The other chamber has to pass uh, like similar legislation. And typically there are differences in the legislation they pass. So they'll just kind of go into a room and work out those differences and then get the bill passed again in each chamber. That then moves to the president who signs it or vetoes it. So, so that's a very quick bare bones like mm-hmm. how legislation in America is made. So when so when a representative brings or writes some sort of legislation, you are involved from the standpoint of uh, whether it's citizen lobbying or otherwise, say, hey, we want XYZ policy or legislation, and then that's what kicks off the process usually? Um, so if you are working on a big enough issue, right? Because then that representative or that committee, uh, whoever's writing the bill in, let's just say the House, has the resources to actually write the bill. Mm -hmm. Um, It can also happen where if it's a smaller issue, uh, an organization or a corporation will basically just hand a bill to the representative and say, hey, we want this passed. Does that happen often? Uh, It happens. I am not sure how often it happens. So Sometimes it can just be like chunks to a legislation, right? Like, Mm, hey, we just... There is this specific part of legislation. We want it rewritten this way. Here you go. And so how does that relationship happen where a corporation can just say, hey, we want here, here's your rewritten, here's the rewritten part of your legislation. Like how, how does that, how does that happen in, from the standpoint of, um, I guess it would be, a, it would have to be a fairly small issue, but I mean, it it happens, like, if you think of healthcare, right, Mm -hmm. the healthcare industry was, like, they were definitely trying to make, and I think did make some significant changes to, like, Obamacare during that Mm. process. And so does that happen because the representatives aren't well-versed enough in the technicalities of what's being written, or because they're too busy to read it, or how does that sort of thing happen and how does that relationship happen where they company X actually ends up rewriting that piece of legislation versus company Y? Sure. So there are a few questions there. Mm-hmm. So let me try to make sure I hit them all. Um, I will say this is different at the state level. Um, at the state level, I don't have like research to back this up, but I imagine it's much more common for, for a company to be like, we want this specific thing passed. Here you go. And at the state level, they don't have the same resources that uh, our federal chambers do, our federal legislative bodies do, the House and the Senate. Um, and sometimes you can have one staffer at the state level supporting multiple representatives, right? And so like they just they don't have the same resources. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it's very common at that level for organizations and uh, corporations to just hand them legislation. That said, looking at the federal level, there is a lot that goes into it. 
Um, I mean, part of it is just building relationships, right? If you're meeting a representative, if you're a lobbyist meeting a representative um, every month for years, right? You get a rapport with them. And if you frame your corporation in like a good light, then your representatives like might be more likely to help you. Uh, they'll also fund studies that might be biased a little bit, right? So that you can hand them a study and be like, hey, look at this study that supports whatever we want. Mm -hmm. um, like I know the fossil fuel industry did this a lot in I think the 1990s, 1980s, right? Where like they would fund uh, research into climate change that was just completely off base, right? And then they'd use it to be like, hey, climate change isn't actually happening. Why you guys shouldn't regulate us. Stop it. Yeah. So just one more question that comes off it though. You say like the relationship is built over years. Isn't, I think to me anyways, wouldn't that be part of the, part of the problem as to why by the people is a necessary uh, sort of platform is if you have a lobbyist that meets that representative for a decade or two decades, that's, that would be, that would seem to me to be part of the problem anyways. Yeah. So that, that is a really good question, right? And that is actually a lot of the power behind by the people, because now people have a way to track their relationship with their elected official. Right. And so you can meet with your elected official for a decade and have that relationship. And I mean, you can do that today. It's just harder. We're lowering. Exactly. Right. We're lowering the barriers to actively doing that. And so you get people making these relationships. Ideally, you then have these people who aren't corporate lobbyists influencing policy um, in a way to maybe combat the corporate interests. Sure. And like, I don't know, I don't mean to like totally attack corporate interests. They're fine sometimes. Right. But they're interested in their own profits. Right. right. And like that's not the best incentive uh, I believe to run a democracy. No, definitely not. But also I don't fault them for being interested in their own profits either. That's what Absolutely. they're there to do. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that, so from that problem, normally when I think of that problem, I think the solution, the first solution that comes to mind for me is would be like term limits on congressmen and senators and, and people like that, where if you've, you've approached it from the opposite way, which is instead of making congresspeople and senators not be in office that long, you said, well, they're going to be, so why not give normal people the opportunity to build that relationship with them the same way that somebody else would? I think that's an interesting, I hadn't thought of that as a solution before, mostly because I didn't have or see the means to do it. Yeah. Um, but now it seems that there is one. So it's interesting. It's an interesting sort of, out, it's, to me at least, it's a little bit outside the box um, of, a, of a solution to that, to that problem. Well, and sorry, but to go back to that question, mm -hmm. I mean, there are also other ways that lobbyists influence representatives right? Um, it is not uncommon for a representative to uh, retire and then go work 
for one of the industries that they wrote regulations for, right? Yeah. And those regulations happen to help that industry. And mm-hmm. then these representatives happen to be making millions of dollars hired by that industry. Yeah. Is there a way to, I want to go back to something you said earlier. Yeah. If it is easy to say democracy is broken, but it kind of is, I think we've highlighted just in the last two or three minutes, probably two or three very big problems that go into that, that statement, that general statement. Um, is there any push that you're aware of from like Citizens United or citizen lobbying to, to kind of curb those sorts, those sorts of things or to like kind of change how campaign, campaign financing works or? Oh, absolutely or stuff like that and if there is is it successful or is it kind of harder because like why would a congressman vote a term limit on himself type exactly uh so there are some things that people look at our system and say that is broken but the only way we can sometimes fix those is like a constitutional amendment right Mm -hmm. or to fix it long term uh, yeah. And so I think Citizens United, like, is a really solid example of that. Um, I personally am a big fan of, like, ranked choice voting. Um, I Definitely. think it can maybe break our two-party system, um, where it makes it, you know, more people might feel comfortable voting Libertarian or Green or Alliance Party, or, you know, any of these other third parties, Mm -hmm. because, oh, if they don't win, my vote is going to the next person I voted for. Mm -hmm. Cool. I feel totally comfortable then voting for a third party. Yeah, that's Um, an interesting point. I I agree with you 100% on ranked choice. I think, um, have you heard of Unity 2020? I have not. Is that a Virginia organization? No, it's a, it's a sort of, online sort of movement i don't know if you do you know who dr brett weinstein is yes so he's he started it kind of in a way that they were gonna like grab two political candidates one from the left and one from the right and try and the way to get on their way to get on the ballot was going to be to convince either the libertarians or the green party to use those two candidates as their candidates but basically what they what they used to figure out which candidates they wanted to ask to do that was ranked choice voting. Um, And it seemed popular on that platform. Granted, it wasn't that many people, but I think it's a a concept that needs to be probably considered, I would say, more. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, these are a lot of, right, like, really important things that need to be addressed with our democracy. And like the hope is, I don't, at the end of the day, I really don't know what the right solution is, but the hope, my optimism, I'm optimistic that building a platform where people can come together and talk through different solutions, right? And push different solutions at the local level, state level, experiment with these different things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think Maine has passed ranked choice voting. And so, you know, we can now see how that experiment is going kind of back to the classic uh, idea when America was created about states being like laboratories for democracy, right? Mm -hmm. Test things at the state level, the local level, and if it works, scale it to the federal level. Mm -hmm. 
Um, right? Is this just our hope? Is this provides a faster way, an easier way to get those ideas out there and then to get them passed and implemented? Definitely. So you almost took away my next question. You said you oh, don't no. know what the right solution is, but I'm going to ask you anyway. So if you have if you have a magic wand, you're President, President Andrew, and you can change. God like, save us all. Like, like real, <laughs> you can change real quick a couple of things, uh, like the biggest, like three, three, two or three problems that you see for sort of policy making slash campaigns. What are the, what are those things and kind of how do you, how do you change those? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. Um, I think addressing Citizens United is probably item number one. Uh, so you don't have all this dark money flowing in and people have the opportunity to, with the level of money that they're giving, to actually make a difference. So real quick, um, just for those listening who don't know what Citizens United is, can you give a brief sort of like... Yeah, so Citizens Summary. United is the U.S. Supreme Court case that basically allowed PACs the almost unlimited power they have today, right? Where they can accept money without revealing who they're accepting money from, and then they can just spend unlimited amounts of money on political causes or okay. supporting political candidates. Um so sorry, what was your original question? Uh, if you like two or three biggest problems in sort of oh, policy, yeah. policy making and what you would do to fix them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I don't know if this is correct. It would be a lot of fun to try. Um, Andrew Yang had this idea that you give everybody $100 to spend on political stuff, right? Like mm -hmm. supporting a candidate or supporting a cause. And I don't, I don't know if that's the right idea, right? I, I could see that going really, really poorly, <laughs> but I think it's, you know, a worthwhile experiment somewhere in some state, right? He's let's got, see, let's he's see got how tons goes. of ideas. Exactly. Uh, and lastly, ranked choice voting, um, because I think there's a lot of potential with ranked choice voting to break the two-party system we have and introduce uh, third parties and make them viable. And I think that would bring fresh ideas to our democracy. I think probably the two-party system that we have now and the campaign financing are probably the two, for me, the two biggest um, issues, I would say. Ranked choice voting is definitely a good idea, a good candidate to solve the, the first one. Mm -hmm. And then with the second one, it's just how how that managed to happen where you could have a PAC spend unlimited amount of money to run ads not affiliated with a candidate yeah. is just like is beyond me, but that's definitely the other the other one. I think I don't know. But definitely ranked choice voting is I, that's something I can get behind for sure. Um I wanna switch gears just a little bit. We had talked um, you had sent me an article about, uh, I think where all the, where all the lobbyists have gone. 
mm-hmm. and I and I skimmed through it, and it seems uh, seemed interesting to me. But my understanding basically is that the number, I guess, is there certain restrictions on what lobbyists can and can't do, and so the yep. lobbyists have just retitled themselves as like government relations experts and things like that. Is that kind of the basic gist of it? Yeah. Um, and there is no enforcement actually on, uh, regulations on lobbying or very, there is very little enforcement. Um, Oh, good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really promising. Um, but so that's the basic gist. So why did they feel the need to change the, the names if there wasn't any enforcement in the first place? Uh, well, so I, I don't think that was like the main part of the article, them changing their names. I think that's just a product of kind of trying to fly under the radar. Mm, um, what what's going on, right, is there's just a lot of money flowing into uh, what, like, education campaigns and other things sort of, like, under the table that absolutely affect how an elected official makes their decision, mm-hmm. and it's just not being accounted for anywhere. Hmm. So that's, well, is that information is not public then? No. Is it? Is that is that part of the Citizens United decision? As well? uh, I don't think so. Um, what like the like, U.S. reports? I believe annually on like the amount um, spent on lobbying, and every year it's like two or three billion dollars by the official report. Mm-hmm. But you look at where these companies are like actually spending money um, on the entire like lobbying complex and it's like two to three times what is officially reported. I don't know. I need to, I need to do more research in general, I think on how, on how that works. It's just, it's such a complicated and complex web of relationships and people knowing each other and sliding money this way and that way for a little handout here or a tax break there or, something like that seems i don't know it's hard to get ahead of from from a a solutions perspective it's a little bit hard to get ahead of something that's already that uh entangled and entrenched um i'm not really sure what there is to do about that but i think no uh and but the hope i i keep saying that is that giving people the tools to engage with their elected officials and government effectively can help at least take a little bit of the power away mm-hmm. from these corporate interests spending $9 billion. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Especially whole- if you're, if you can see where that money is going, at least where they say that money is going, you know, that, that is just, it's a start. Yeah. I mean, saying hope is, is a good, it's a good thing. People when not the greatest of situations, I, I think as a, as a whole, and being hopeful is definitely something that is good for, for people to hold on to. So for you to, to be able to hold on to that, I think is don't, don't be sorry that 
<laughs> no, of course. Saying, don't be of sorry course. you're saying that. It's definitely something that more people could use a little bit of hope in, in, their, in their lives right about now, I think. But um, this, the, last, the last thing that we had touched on was uh, this new wave of social technology. We've been talking before about this thing called uh, Lunch Club, just as an example. But, but right now, the way it seems to me is, well, for everyone listening, as you know, when you go on Twitter, or Facebook, chances that you see something uh, mean are 100%. And so you've kind of been doing some research into into this, correct? And yeah, you've kind of. So what's what's next for social media and and these sorts of things? Yeah. So I mean, I think you have to look at kind of what exists today, and you see how divisive social media has made politics. Uh, you see how like teenage girls interact with social media and how their depression rates have spiked, how their suicide rates have spiked. And you see how social media in general has just affected everybody. You see um, more depression. You see people just feel worse about themselves this is not a sustainable way for us to continue engaging socially online. So the question becomes, one, I think, right, what are the incentives that led to this? Uh, and then two, like, what what is next? Mm-hmm. Um, and Netflix actually has a pretty good documentary that came out in the last month or two that addresses the incentives and like how these social media companies work to get you like drawn in, addicted to the platform Mm -hmm. and then just make money off you. The social dilemma, right? Yeah. The social dilemma. Um, So, I mean, I think, I think the first thing, right, is the incentive driving these companies is they're super focused on just keeping your attention, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it makes sense, right? That's how they make money that's what they found to make money. Um, and it very clearly works, right? Facebook is worth $800 billion and it started in what, 2008, yeah. I think, right? Like that's, that's incredible. Um, in a bad way, seeing the effect it has on our society. But at the same time, it's, it feels disingenuous to just be like social media is bad, social media is bad because it has connected the world in a really, really cool way. And it has opened up these connections um, that just could not exist before, Mm -hmm. right? So the question I think is then what's next? And what I would like to see is social platforms forming around building genuine relationships. And so what we were talking about was Lunch Club, which, so you sign up for Lunch Club, um, lunchclub.com and you put in like your interests and your location and then it will you, you select a couple times every single week and it matches you with somebody who's sort of interested in the same things as you are um, for you to just have a conversation with them for half an hour mm-hmm. and I have met some very cool people through that I think longer term right they need to focus more on maintaining relationships right it's not just about meeting new people every single time you use lunch club 
but that seems like the right direction of using social technology to develop relationships rather than keep people trapped in an infinite feed um, for hours just to make ad revenue off them. Yeah. So are, are there other similar sorts of platforms to Lunch Club or yeah. how, is the wave moving in that direction, you think? It it feels like it. Um, so there's Lunch Club. I've used this app called Dial-Up, which kind of takes a different tack uh, where you select like topics you're interested in and those topics have an associated time with them where you get like a phone call and then it just matches you with somebody else interested mm-hmm. in that topic. Um, oh, what else is there? There's something called Kappa, which it sort of does the same thing that Lunch Club does, right? You can just select people who have similar interests and then it'll send you a video call to chat with them. Um, oh man, I feel like I'm missing one. But Lunch Club recently raised like $25 million. And during the pandemic, uh, with everybody at home, they have grown a ton. I'm not sure what their user number is currently. I imagine it's in the hundreds of thousands. Mm -hmm. Um, But like that feels to me like how the internet should be used socially is there's a world of people out there. Mm -hmm. There are people you've never met who you could get along really well with. If there's a social platform that says, hey, you two would have great conversations and then connects you, like that just feels to me like a really positive impact on the world. Mm-hmm. Are the other people that you've met on Lunch Club or these other apps, are they kind of, do they share a similar sort of view of social media and, and kind of where they think it should be going? I, I guess when I've talked about it, I would say so. Um, we typically don't talk about that though. Right. Uh, so I have no idea that said that's where we met. Right. So I imagine they were intrigued enough to use it. Mm -hmm. Um, something lunch club does is it will tell you how many meetings people you've met with have had. And I've met with people who've had 60 meetings on lunch club. Right. So they've met 60 new people. I've had, I don't know, 10 at this point. I think the average number I see, it's a relatively new platform, is like 25 or 30. But they're just, it feels like there's a lot of power there. If you're meeting 30 new people and it's based on your interests, chances are that you're going to meet a handful of people you connect really, really well with. Definitely. I think that's cool. I'm going to have to check it out and think. Could be a, could find some more guests for the podcast that way, but. (laughs) But yeah, that's wow, that's a cool thing. I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. Um, I think just so. Hopefully, it turns out that way that social media goes in that that direction where it's a little bit less mean. Um, but it, is it? It's not anonymous, is it? I think that's part of the reason, especially on Twitter, where people can be anonymous and they can just say whatever they want, and there's no accountability or consequences for mm-hmm. for saying horrible things to people i think that's part of it so is lunch club it's not anonymous is it no yeah so and well that goes back also to what you guys are doing uh with by the people where you making them verify who they are um 
sort of prevent the trolls, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. But just to sort of to wrap up a little bit, going back to by the people, what is end goal? What what do you what do you see by the people being in five ten years? Yeah. Uh, I mean, perfect world for us, right? Very ambitious, but it is the platform that supports the entire political process, right? If you want to make political change, you go to buy the people and we have the actions for you to make that change. You want to write legislation and in collaboration with your elected officials in collaboration with other organizations that happens on by the people, right? You want to track legislation throughout the legislative process and go meet with maybe your roadblocks or go just kind of smooth the way for the legislation that happens on by the people. And of course, you know, once it gets through the process, things aren't done um, because then it's about the implementation of the legislation, mm -hmm. which a lot of people fall off and don't realize how important it is to follow legislation through to the implementation. And so it's ensuring that it's being implemented the way it's written in the bill. Um, or if something needs to change, being able to change it, right? So it's just, it's bringing the entire political process and conversation to by the people, taking it off of the scattered approach of Facebook and Twitter, mm -hmm. where it's toxic and anonymous to one place where people are working together. And I'm sure, you know, disagreeing a lot too, but. Of course. Sounds good. I think where, so where can we find uh, By the People? Yeah. So you can find By the People at bythepeople.co. That's .co. Um, we have a nice little landing page there. You can then sign up. Um, if you do sign up, I will say we don't have candidates everywhere, but we will see you signed up and do our best to get your candidate profiles on the platform. There you, you go. You can also find us on Twitter at by the people underscore co. Sounds good. We'll get, uh, we'll get all these links in, in the description as well, for sure. But definitely go guys. If you, if you're interested, give it a, give it a sign up, give it a try. I know you'd probably, you, you, do you have any in Virginia yet? Any candidates? Uh, I believe we have some profiles in Virginia. I don't know that we have candidates in Virginia yet. So give it a go, guys. If, if they see the traffic starting to uptick in, in Northern Virginia, then maybe they'll be like, hey, we should, uh, we should go talk to the candidates and get them on the platform. But I think it's a really good thing that you guys are doing, and I hope, I hope people sign up. I know I definitely will at some point when I get around to it. But um, Definitely, guys, if you're listening, definitely go give give the website a, a click. Go give it a follow. And, uh, yeah, I think we've, we've been talking for like an hour, Andrew. So uh, I think this is a good place to wrap up. Thanks for being on. I, I really appreciate your time, and we'll see everybody next time. Awesome. Yeah, I've really appreciated this conversation, Eric. Uh, thanks for having me on. For sure. Bye, everybody.